Shafee. Shafee, are you there? I'm Shafee and I'm totally not crazy. Night has fallen once again on the hill country surrounding Austin, Texas. Here I sit behind my microphone in my ivy-covered castle. The birds have long vacated the landlord's bird feeder, for it is time once again for one magical hour, a Matthew and Schaefer podcast spectacular. We're going, like my nephew said, going coconut crazy here super excited have our uh, executive producer and old oldest and dearest friend jameson driscoll on the show with us tonight talk about a few things he's working on out in west texas but first i'm going to chat with this man he has mandibles like the predator he is uh is the most famous children's folk singer from the greater Topanga, California area. He is Matthew Rampy. Hello, Matthew. I can feel it coming in the cast tonight. Oh, Lord. And I've been waiting for this podcast for all of my life. Oh, Lord. Can you feel it coming in the air tonight? Oh, Lord. Well, if you told me you were talking, I would not lend an ear. I've downloaded this before, my friend, and I'm not sure that I know why I'm here. That's all. Thanks for joining. Thanks for joining me on that little trip. Welcome to episode ninety-eight on the precipice of a century. That's two away from one hundred. Hey, Shafee. Hey, how are you, buddy? How are you? Do- how are you doing tonight, friend? I'm doing just fine, thank you. Uh, good seeing you. It's nice to be seen. Via. Are you really? Are you doing just fine? By the Shafee? power of the internet, just fine. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Have you ever thought about um, that moment when I discover what the episode title will be? Uh, no, not really. <laughs> no? Okay. Well, I mean, it's a moment. You know, I we do the cast. I cut the cast. I send it yeah. to you. And then I l- have to look at Apple Podcasts or One Magical Hour. Oh, yeah. That, that makes sense. And that's what, that's what you see it. Sure. It's, or when I, when I put that thing on Facebook yeah. announcing the... You sometimes find out that way first, never? No. Uh, uh, maybe I have once or twice, but you no, usually I you know, I'm I'm eager to go and see the title. <laughs> it's an exciting moment every time. I I know you think that this is leading to me like criticizing a title, but Did you, uh... this is all love. I really I really enjoy like it, I mean it's a creative endeavor that I'm involved with, but there's this moment where I don't know exactly 
Well, the score is. I love it. It's super fun. It's like sports. Did uh did the title Liberty like Liberty or Long Clausen of Leicestershire remind you of the uh the yucks that we had the other night? It did. It did. Although sometimes even I have to <laughs> <laughs> like really dig deep to think about the meaning. <laughs> but it's great. I love it. It's it's probably one of the most endearing parts of our podcast. I'm so excited about tonight. We have a guest. Our favorite guest, maybe. I mean, sorry to all of our other favorite guests, but executive producer Jameson. You guys are going to do what I do at least one night a week, sometimes two nights a week, and that's talk to Jameson. (laughs) You guys talk that often? Yeah. I'd say so. Wouldn't wouldn't you, Jameson? Yeah, I think that's about right. Hey, guys, how are you? <laughs> Did you have an introduction for him, Matthew? What was I, the frequency of I that again? St- uh, <laughs> no, it was a little... One to two times a week. It was a little amorphous. I'm sorry about that. Well... One to two times a week. Yeah. I think that's about right. We, we like to check in on each other. I like to, you know, catch up, hear what, what's going on. Not including the occasional world. humorous text. Well, is any of that podcast business? Are y'all working on the podcast at all during those times? We Not sometimes talk cast, sure. Right? No. <laughs> we do talk about it, sure. I, 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 that's my way of getting at you guys through my check-ins with Shaper, I think. Well, um, tonight you can get at us in real time. <laughs> uh, we'll... I think that we should talk about the podcast later because, you know, we spend a lot of time on this podcast talking about this podcast. <laughs> you do. So I, I would like to get right into the impetus for bringing you on tonight, which is, wait, I got to beat for this, which is, it's our, it's one of our original segments, actually. It's, uh... I don't know if you guys remember the original mission of this, but like, besides highlighting poor choices, we also highlight creative endeavors. And uh, our buddy Jameson has been involved in some creative endeavors uh, lately. I have. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, he's been stacking them up. Stacking them up like episodes of One Magical Hour. <laughs> He's got ninety-eight of them. No, not 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 in this uh, uh, chapter. You know, this is a new chapter for me. I, I think last time I was on the cast, we talked a bit about that. I put it all down for a good period of time, but uh, but I'm back. I'm back in the creative world, and I'm, and I'm happy to be here. So, for the one magical hour listener, tell us what sort of through your program at Texas Tech, you've been involved in some student films. Is that correct? Uh, sort of. I don't know if you'd want to call them student films. So, you know, there's this uh, pandemic thing that's been going on that's uh, prevented us from meeting in person uh, for the past couple of semesters. And uh, heard of it. so I've been in a, I was in a directing class, a directing class called um, Seminar in Directing Methods. 
where we we study a lot of different directors, lots and lots of different directors, all the different ways they approach things, theater directors almost exclusively. Uh, and then we have a, a project at the end of the year, which they call like the remix. And what you do is you take two directors that we've studied throughout the year, and you try to kind of combine elements of their approaches into one, uh, you know, one production, which would typically be, you know, in person, in a theater, uh, some sort of little directed scene or short play or vignette of some sort of, you know, it can kind of take a lot of different forms. But uh, this year, everything is uh, filmed, right? So we are, we're making little short films, but we insist on uh, calling them theater. So it's, it's actually theater. To be, cl- Although, to be clear, it's, you know, it's, yeah. it's all film because you couldn't get into the same room and do right. the classic theater. Right, so yeah, yeah we, we, there's all these different innovative ways of doing things. And so, um, so yeah, so I, I, I created one uh, that I think you put out of, that we're here to talk about um, called Emerson's Worm. And uh, you have it up on your, your Facebook page. And so I guess you guys have seen it. Uh, and that was sort of my my contribution to the to the class to this to this project. And uh, I don't know, shit, Matthew, did you get a chance to see it? Of course, I saw it. I have notes. Oh, you do. Well, I mean, I, I have ta- I have talking points here that I want to. You know, well, I'd be interested to hear your your uh, impression. Okay. Well, off to the races. Uh, here we go. <laughs> I I like the um, so it's black background and there's text and there's some there's some intervals between the text right the start of the film sure yeah and i really like the it's it goes from a black background but there's some kind of like color flashes or just like one or two frames of color stuck in or something right uh yeah yeah that's how that's how it turned out (laughs) Yeah. yeah oh well that wasn't that wasn't intended. Well, I didn't take it out, but uh, you know, I didn't create it uh, intentionally. It, oh. It's sort of. Uh, well, I enjoyed that. Yeah. You know, I played that. I played that card in art school a few times. Yeah, I mean, so this was a. Uh, it was a, that was a recorded. <laughs> it was a one-shot recorded, Zoom, uh, scene essentially. One one act one actor, kind of like a monologue. Um, but, but what I did. To create the the beginning, and it's a poem by Emerson, Ralph Waldo Emerson, about nature. Uh, and I sent it out line by line, and I really wanted it to take some time. And I used, I think, the silliest program you could possibly use for video editing, which is like the, the one that comes with Microsoft for you know you, you can do slideshows with music behind it for for your friend's birthday or wedding and things like that. It's just, that's all it is. And so I, I put the text in there and I, and I built it in so it had large intervals. And then that created, when I, you know, cut it or when I sent it to download and print, there was these little blips in there. And I thought, well, those are great. So I, I left them in. I felt like it, it kind of brought, brought something. It was sort of a surprise to me, but, uh, I w- you know, I, I wouldn't go back and do it any other way at this point. Yeah, they definitely seemed entirely, entirely intentional. 
Yeah, I thought it brought a nice texture. Well, I thought maybe it. I shouldn't have given that that away, but uh, no, that's uh, <laughs> that was just sort of a happy accident, I guess you'd say. But yeah, we're pulling back the curtain here. Well, here on the podcast, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we are ripping the shroud off of creative endeavors. All right. Um. So it it opens very slowly, right? It does. It does. So, so, you know, like I said, the project here was to take a couple of directors and then meld their, their ideas together, some elements of their way of working together. We were also, the other thing about the project, we, was, we were asked to use a non-traditional text, non-traditional being not typically staged, not a, not a play, uh, and, it, and we wanted it to be at least 100 years old. So those were sort of the, the guidelines we had. And so I had this old book of uh, selected writings by Emerson that I'd been, you know, hanging on to for many years. And he has these uh, collection of essays and about nature and beauty. And uh, the ones about nature I've always have always really resonated with me. I really enjoyed them, but they are the, you know, they're real heady. It's hard to imagine. It was so hard for me to imagine how this would ever be, you know, on stage or even written into a way that was performable. I mean, it's very, you know, it's, it's Emerson in his room, you know, <laughs> doing what he does with his, uh, with, with language and trying to communicate his ideas, but they're very much essays and they read like essays. So I took that text uh, and then I started, I started kind of piecing it together in a way that made sense to me. And then I started re rewriting it and rewriting it into my own words and my own words. And so it, it probably went through, you know, a dozen, maybe two dozen rewrites. So the ultimate, the text that you hear uh, in, the, in, the, in the piece is very much, it's a long ways away from Emerson at that point, right? It's, it's taken on a different voice, you know, maybe my voice, I don't know. Uh, but the same themes and the same ideas are still in there. And so I, I, that's how, that's how I developed the text. And then the, the directors I was looking to were, uh, a woman named Mary Zimmerman, who you may or may not be familiar with. She's, she did a play called Metamorphosis in uh, New York city at the circle in the square theater some time ago. And it's about, it's tales from the Ovid, you know? So she takes these epic mythological tales, Sisyphus and what have you. Uh, and then she stages them in this in this remarkable way, and she and she she does sort of a similar thing with the language. Uh, so I, that was my idea: is I wanted to kind of take on her, her approach to classic old works and the, and the way she's adapting them and things like that, and staging them. And then the other director I looked to was actually Alfred Hitchcock. So not every director we studied was was a theater director, and though it would have been, except there's a few people in the class that uh, are not theater folks, they're cross-disciplinary people. And so they were given the option to, uh, to you know, look outside of theater for a director, somebody they might be more familiar with. And this one guy had, uh, had reported on Hitchcock. And so I became really interested in the way he builds suspense and uses suspense uh, and in horror and the, 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 the way it pays off and just that all of the ways he, he does that. So I was, it, in a lot of ways, it was an experiment in kind of how you might do that um, with a piece like this. Um, for a piece know, that short, 
for a piece that short, it is right. it is very suspenseful and quite terrifying. It's, it's impressive how much how much of those emotions you're able to squeeze out of such a short piece. Yeah, it's the uh, it's the uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson summer horror film that we <laughs> never knew we needed. Nice, yeah, yeah, good good genre. But yeah. There's this moment where your actor is um, panicking and almost hyperventilating. Yeah. And um, it reminded me of how in movies and TV when we were kids, all you got to do to solve hyperventilating is breathe into a bag. <laughs> did, you, did you consider solving it with just having your actor breathe into a bag? <laughs> uh, no, we didn't think about that it would have been less. It would have been less of a crescendo, I think, <laughs> if they if you would have just solved that with a paper you know, bag. I, I wish you'd been in the room when we were working on this because that might have saved us a lot of time. And <laughs> no, I would like I would say it would have ruined the piece. Maybe so. No, I, I don't. I, that didn't occur to me. But, uh, but yeah, that that young actress I got, um, Kirsten Vaughn. Uh, was really excellent. I, I don't know if you what you guys thought, but I really enjoyed her, and I was I was excited to work with her. Um, no, she was yeah. good. No, and that was actually. Can I quote? Actually, it was Go actually ahead. shot in just one take, and that was in fact our first take. We did a few, uh, but that was the one. She kind of she nailed it kind of right off the bat, so it was good. Um, can I read my favorite line from the piece? Sure. My favorite line was, everything is beautiful. Acorns, trees, grapes, pine cones, eggs, wings, feathers, flames, leaves, trees. Everything is beautiful everything like right is that not great yeah I, I, did you did you write that uh well yeah yeah, yeah. how much of that is emerson I mean, and how much is you i'd say well i don't know it's hard to say i think it's all emerson in a way but it's not you won't find that verbatim i actually yeah. i wanted to ask you this jameson because there's you know there's a thing yeah. that poets do uh, that they call they call erasures where they just take a text and they'll just start removing words until they find something, you know, a prose or whatever, remove words until they've kind of made a poet something that sounds like a poem out of it. What was the what's your process? What was your mechanism for changing this text? Did you mostly delete words? Did you add words? Did you add synonyms? Did you add, you know, more dramatic sounding words? What was what was your process? Well, I think the first thing I did was I put it in, I tried to take Emerson's, Emerson's piece and write it in my own words, like how I would say it, or like how, how I would uh, okay, speak. Sure. If I was trying to say what you were saying, I just put it in my own words. Um, though I certainly use his, use images of his uh, uh, and language of, and, you know, I, I think I, I don't think I took anything out. I think what I did is I had, uh, you know, made it more prose-like and contemporary. 
and accessible and like a conversation I would have. Um, I got it. Know, so it is. I, it's, I got more it's dramatically changed then. Right, when you describe yeah, the project I mean, to me, I thought you would tweak stuff here or there, but you actually did rewrite, rewrite it in, a, in an entirely different language. Yeah, I did. And, uh, you know, and actually once I wrote kind of the first draft in my own language, because the first thing I did is I pulled his language and I put it together and then I wrote it out in my own way, the way I would say it. And at that point, I put Emerson away. I never went back to him. So uh, at that point, I was just developing my own language. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's very much me, but, it, you know, and I think if you were to read the, the, the selection from Emerson, you would you would see some common things, but it wouldn't flow in nearly the same way or uh, you, you might not even communicate. I might not even communicate the ideas uh, that he does, you know, because I think it's not, things are lost when you when you put it into the common vernacular. Uh, rather than his, you know, very detailed, illustrative, well thought out, you know, every word he wrote is, you know, has a very, you know, it's, it, everything's there. He's not missing anything in his, in his, in his essays. So like us in the podcast. Yeah. yeah I mean, so there's things just lost. I mean, I, then I was okay with that. I was like, it's not going to, it's not going to be as thorough. It's not going to be as eloquent. It's going to, we're going to lose things. It's going to be distorted and, uh, but I was good with that because that's that was that's more what I wanted. Yeah, definitely. I, that, that makes sense. At what yeah. point? Yeah. At what point did you say, you know, what would be perfect for this is a Melvin song? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was. I was definitely going to comment on that. It was the great, great part. Man, you know. Uh, so my original intention was just to shoot the scene and not have anything. I wasn't going to do anything. No, I wasn't going to do titles or the poem beforehand. But then I started to think of, you know, the idea of building suspense. Uh, you got to, there was, I realized like with the titles and the poem in the beginning and the, like the way that rolls out slowly really supports the idea of building suspense and building, you know, build, you know, elevates the whole production so uh i decided i needed to do that and then once i did that i just started thinking gosh i feel like this needs some music and i didn't even i didn't look around i i remember sitting in my mustang back in you know 1990 whatever it was <laughs> and uh and listening to stoner witch which i think it's it's side two like i had a cassette tape of course right so it was side b of stoner witch and just listening to that as loud as possible, and that that music was it came back to me, and I was like, I I could I couldn't get it out of my head, so I had to go seek it out, and and you know I clicked around at the different songs, and and then I stumbled on this one. I was like, yeah, this is the one. I, so I actually mem I remembered hearing it at some point, and it was the only song I thought that would possibly work, and it 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 worked better than I thought it would. So yeah, I mean, I don't think about the Melvins a lot, but for some reason I was triggered into it by the by just the way the piece was going well you nailed it <laughs> yeah it's funny to hear you mention that mustang i have some very uh uh yeah 
I was going to comment on the Mustang. Some tactile memories from that vehicle. We spent so much time (laughs) in it. (laughs) It was visceral. Yeah, that was... uh, Matthew and and One Magical Nation, Jameson drove this Mustang for years and years. And it was the day of Derek and Amy's wedding when... I was I was standing there next to Derek. I was I was one of his groomsmen, and the wedding was just about to get started. And just before Amy walked down the aisle, uh, Jameson and Kaylee, the girl he was dating, they just snuck in just in time. And Jameson looks at me, and he just mimes a steering wheel, and then an explosion. And I knew exactly what had happened. I knew that the Mustang was no longer with us. <laughs> yeah. It was a, that, it was a bitter, that, bittersweet day. We, it was obviously very wonderful for uh, to celebrate Amy and Derek's nuptials, but that was also a that was also a wake for a mighty, mighty vehicle. Yeah, it, 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 we had just driven from uh, our place in New York to uh, Alexandria, Virginia, right? Where the, that's where the yep. wedding was. And right as we pulled up and we we're running late, Kaylee and I were screaming at each other because we we're late and I was driving really fast and we got to somewhere. I find that screaming at each other. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, I rev the engine and we got to where I guess you're supposed to park and there was like a shuttle you're supposed to get on to go somewhere. Um, we missed that shuttle, but I parked the car <laughs> and it just started smoking. Smoke was coming in through the AC and out around the hood and we were late we were so late and so i i was like uh just grab all your stuff because we had already packed you know so i just grabbed i kind of looked around the cab of the car and grabbed whatever i thought i might need again i was saying i was like we're just gonna ditch this car so we got out of the car and got a, ran across the street and, and then by now this point like there's flames you know coming out from under the hood and and uh um, don't know which way to go, and I walk this one way, and oh, it's the other way, and I'm walking back, and I'm like, God, what am I going to do about this car? And I look over there, and there's a guy on a bike who had stopped by the car because he noticed, you know, it was on fire, and uh, he pulled out his phone. And I saw him dial, you know, nine one one. I thought, well, shucks, that's all I was going to do anyway. Let's go, you know. So we <laughs> just took off. We left it, and I, I didn't know if I'd ever see it again. But we went back after the reception, and there was a nice little note from the Alexandria Fire Department saying, "Look, well, your car caught on fire. It was extinguished. Here's the number for a tow truck." <laughs> so that was it, though. I, I the fuel pump had exploded or caught fire, and uh, yeah, I finally found. It's always the fuel. I finally pump. found uh, somebody with a with a tow truck that was willing to uh, come get the car and I, it, for free because I was like, "It's your car. You, if you come get it, you can keep it." because <laughs> it's done and because it, it was really total then i finally found somebody that would and uh it's harder farewell. to get somebody to take a car farewell take. mighty red mustang the funny thing about that Mustang, i don't remember what year it was exactly but it 93. was it was not a good year for mustangs like I, I think most of those 93 mustangs of that model they probably lasted three years three to five years right. But yeah, that it wasn't, one, it wasn't uh, 
it wasn't the 5.0 either. This was a, a four-cylinder. It was a four, <laughs> red four-cylinder 1993 Mustang with a you know standard transmission. That one lasted 15 <laughs> years Baseball. and drove all over yeah. America. First yeah, all over yeah. Texas and then all over America. Had some mm-hmm. wonderful, wonderful times in that car. And a lot of very poor choices. So, we, you know, a lot of poor choices. Yeah. But back to creative endeavors. <laughs> I, I did want to talk about Emerson's Worm, and that was a really fun theater performance that can be viewed on YouTube, <laughs> yeah. to be specific. Uh, but I would also like to mention this uh, film that you uh, acted in. Uh, Bluebird. Oh yeah. Based on a Charles Bukowski poem. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, it is. A, it is the Charles Bukowski poem, Bluebird. Yeah. Uh, uh, that was directed by somebody was directing. Right. You. Yeah. There's a guy, a gentleman named a uh, young man named Steve Weatherby. I call everybody I go to school with young people because they are <laughs> the young people. <laughs> is it, are, there's the young. There's the young people, and then there's their companions. Yeah. And sometimes a young person and their companions will go missing and you don't know whose fault it was, if it was the young people or if it was the companions. That's tough. It's tough. To we are at the point now uh, where well over half of the world is younger than us. So more likely to be young people than what we would think of as old yeah. people. Yeah. I, listen, I was at the gym recently <laughs> and I'm the old guy in the room. Yeah. Well, I'm definitely... Uh, <laughs> The old guy in the uh, MFA program at Texas Tech, but uh, and yeah. the, but the yeah, it's a good feeling. The yeah. Bukowski text, Jameson, you left that one as is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that is verbatim. the The dialogue is uh, Bukowski's poem, "Bluebird." There's a bluebird in my heart that wants to get out, but but I'm too and tough for him. One magical yeah, nation, you should know that the first Jameson the first... looks very handsome in this performance. That is so true. The first thing I want to say, huh. though, is, and Schaefer, I'm sure you're going to agree with me here. Isn't it great to see Jameson back on the screen? Back? Oh, absolutely. Playing a character. The world's been waiting acting, for make, Making you believe. Yeah. I remember when Jameson retired from acting. <laughs> I thought, this is not going to stick. And seeing Bluebird, um, it felt really good, man. Yeah, Speaking of which... Jameson, uh, I have, I finally got an idea for the, at least the beginning subject matter and plot of the play we talked about writing together. So, uh, so we're going to have to, we're going to have to get started on that. I'm really excited about it. Hey, hey, listen, the only production meetings allowed in this (laughs) podcast are about this podcast. (laughs) This is, this is where the magic happens, folks. Jameson, it felt like you were really invoking the spirit of Bukowski. Yeah. Well, so, so my Steve, first my first question is: it was that real whiskey? Um the uh, the first drink I take is uh, is real whiskey. And then, but then you get a bit. There's a bigger. You pour a bigger. Right. Right. That's, uh, that's that is uh, okay. That's, uh, it's iced tea. Good. Good, because you were really going for it, Bukowski style, and I was a little concerned. <laughs> but I listen. I'm pro, I'm a pro. I know that on Cheers they were drinking near beer. Yeah, no, it's a, it's it was a it was tea, unsweet tea. 
Jameson knows a little Which bit about... It's a common replacement for whiskey, yeah. Jameson knows a little bit about drinking whiskey and going crazy by yourself in an apartment. <laughs> yeah, I think that we can all relate <laughs> to what was going on in this video. Am I right, boys? Yeah, I mean, I definitely had and, experiences and, to draw from. Sure. I, I'm, for me, there's some rageaholism in there. Yeah. That's triggering. I love it. <laughs> The whole piece is a little triggering. Uh, you know, I've watched it a couple times, but it's 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 not a feel good piece, is it? You know, it's a it's a it's not a feel good. Like piece. I mean, that but that's what's great about Bukowski, right? Is like it's so raw that you are sort of left feeling a little despondent. He's not but, really I mean, known. He's that, not really life. known for it's his a, silver linings, is he? No. <laughs> No, it's un, it's an unflinching look at life. Jameson, let me ask you, did did any of that, uh, your performance and the, did any of that remind you of hat fight? Hat fighting? Uh-huh. <laughs> you, mean, you mean the hat fighting? I, know, I thought it was, we would, I thought it was just called hat fight. <laughs> well, no, it's like, you know, it's like, uh, what do you, what do you call it? MWA or whatever. It's a whole. It's a whole genre of <laughs> MMA? MMA. What is MWA? I don't know. Yeah, Obviously, I'm real into that. But uh, that's the Men and Women's Association. Oh, that WWF or WWE. It's, it's, it's yeah. in that world. Um, the hat. <laughs> no, I hadn't Look, occurred to me. Let's but just yeah. stop the show. Let's stop the podcast right now and tell this. You got it. One night, I'll tell it. I'll tell it. One night in the purple house where Manish once lived. I'm going to tell it like Goodnight Dune. <laughs> there was a little bottle of whiskey and a great living room and a helmet and a guy <laughs> and John Kinney too. And a, and a sombrero maybe? So wh- one night some lads got into an engagement late into the night whereby the objective was you had to remove the hat from the other guy, and it was dubbed no, hat fight. No, that's, not, that's Jameson, not correct, Matthew. That's not, is this not correct? That's okay. Not correct. My once again, my memory is twisted from time. Not, you set the record. Goal straight. is not to get the hat off. So, so you, Manish okay. has all these various hats, like hard hats and cowboy hats and other kinds of silly hats, top hats, are all in his house. And so, there's that gladiator. Yeah, there's a gladiator. Helmet. So you choose a hat. And then you, uh, you have two people, and then you fight, and you know, you just fist fight. I mean, I think the rules were nothing oh, above the above the shoulders and nothing below the waist. So it's just a whole bunch of body sure, blows. just body blows. Well, except John Kenny yeah. kept punching me in the neck, but uh, um, <laughs> but the hats, the hats are there is to kind of uh, they it, they work really well because the rules are. If one, if any of the hats fall off, either either fighter, if their hat falls off, the fight has to stop. You know, you can't. It's like go back. Oh, that's to only court. fair. I mean, that's international tournament right. rules. Yeah, so the, the hats are there. You know, because if things start getting out of hand, a hat's going to fall off. Well, that's you know, go back to your corners. And, put your and yeah, to to, to, to clarify, none method. of these hats fit very yeah. well. So you had to kind of balance it on your head. Right. Yeah. I mean, these are awkward. Strange hat. So, so it kept it, you from really, really winding up and throwing a haymaker. Right. 
Schaefer, you mean no one had gone to a haberdashery and got <laughs> no, a custom hat weren't. made ahead of time? <laughs> these weren't these weren't yeah. fitted ball caps. <laughs> these were not. Yeah. No. And then, and then the, the the winner, I don't. I guess you just win by the other person gives up essentially. You know, it's whoever. I, I'm Jameson. That's but the same in real I've, life. I've seen the footage. No, no one won that night. There were no winners. <laughs> yeah. But the, the the night culminated with the, the, the video is wonderful with you know John Kinney who had punched me in the neck like three or four times. And it has me winding up with the big, huge haymaker that I held, that I, you know, I project it. You can see this thing coming. It's not like I'm a trained fighter in any way. This is the silliest, slowest punch you've ever seen. But it came from way behind me and it swung around and I got him in the ribs really good. And he was, and he was done. And, uh. That was it. We we actually stopped at that point because it had really hurt him. You know he's a radiologist, so the next day he went to work and just X-rayed his ribs, and yeah, they were broken. <laughs> you broke one of John yeah. Kenny's ribs. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Well, I I didn't bring it up to you know come to some. Yeah. Just, you know, I, I wanted it I wanted that it chronicled right here on one magical hour to, pass time. to me yeah. it to me the hat fight looms large in the annals of good times not well, the, uh, that punch to John rib was was the last punch of hat fighting ever thrown probably not the strangest nor the most unwise thing that happened in that purple house on Waller either <laughs> No, yeah, that was my favorite no. story about. So the the Purple House on Waller, it was it was owned. Benicia's landlords are were at the time. Uh, the it was the store, the retail store, kind of in front of it, which is there on Seventh Street in Austin. It's still there, and it's a place that sells right. the green and white. It grocery. sells like kind of. Uh, candles and potions and stuff for practicing like santeria and these guys were yeah, guys were doing the santeria stuff and so manish had a dog at the time and every now and then he would come in the backyard and find just his dog chomping down on like goat entrails or something and then you'd have to you'd have to go yell at those landlords and be like Hey guys, when you have your goat sacrifices, you have to clean up. Otherwise, <laughs> otherwise my dog gets into your your goat entrails. Right. I, I hope you. Uh, I hope you're able to divine whatever future that you were guessing from uh, from your goat sacrifice. But please don't let my dog get into it the next day. <laughs> yeah, Manisha was remembering that. He was telling me that story again the other day. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, what so, grocery store? So many delightful, delightful times there, though. Uh-huh. But bringing it back to Bluebird, and speaking of a place in time, did the apartment in Bluebird remind you guys of a place where that Dave lived? Or it's typical of like a, a was it in, a, was it west of Tech Campus? You know where it was like, shot. You mean where was the apartment? Yeah, shot here. Oh, in my bedroom. 
Oh, interesting. Bluebird was shot in your bedroom? Yeah, yeah, it was. I mean, I, I changed things up and I, you know, made it look a little different. But uh, that was that was here. Oh, okay. Yeah. Now, okay. I felt like it sort of I reminded me of the... your parents' place. But that would make sense because your parents kind of designed and decorated yeah, that... both their house and your house. So it, it makes sense that there would be some some flares. But there's also, like, there was that arched doorway that reminded me of your place, I that's think. the main thing I was talking about, the arched no. doorway. Yeah, that's right yeah. there. I'm looking at it right now. <laughs> Wait, one yeah, magic connection. You, was, you was can't see cool. it, but he is looking at it. And I can't see it, but I can see that he's looking at he's, something. He's, look, he's looking at it. <laughs> we can't see it. We can't see it. Um. My favorite part of the piece was when you ha were up against the mirror. Mm -hmm. The shot of you, you. My compliments to Stephen Weatherby on a a dramatic shot using a. Well, mirror. the funny thing is, Jameson right. was actually kind yeah. of the cinematographer for that. <laughs> Am I right? Oh, sorry, I. Well, you I mean, were. I mean, it, 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 I mean, working in these circumstances is so interesting. So. He and I never met in person. It was all shot like we do a Zoom meeting, and we'd work out every piece of that together. You know, we, he'd be he'd be watching it, and I would be doing it on the phone with Zoom. And so we 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 worked. We put a lot of work into every angle and every shot, and the lighting and all. I mean, a lot of work went into every piece of that. But you know, so you definitely want to credit Stephen Weatherby for. You know everything because I he was really the but you were the he DP. was the eyes of it and I was I mean I'm I'm holding the the camera which is my phone yeah and so it was interesting though because we we did all the rehearsals with Zoom but then when we shot it you know I said bye Stephen and I, I I didn't use Zoom I used the camera on the phone I just you know re reversed camera and I had a little tripod and we had set up all the shots and so I I said bye Stephen I shot it all in one shot and then I. You know, downloaded it and sent it to him, and he said, "Looks good." Jameson, can we put Bluebird up for for our listeners, or is that not? Yeah. Okay, cool. Go for it. I'll put it on the Facebook page so everybody can see it. It's a, it's an amazing work. It's well acted. It looks beautiful, and uh, Jameson is quite fetching with his with his longish hair and his beard. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's hot. Something that I can, I know I can definitely put on there is your interview with what was his name? What's the producer's name of from The Office? Randy Cordry. Randy Cordry. So that's a super interesting yeah. thing, and I enjoyed uh, listening to his stories too. Uh, One Magical Nation. Uh, Jameson interviewed this guy Rob Cordry, who's the he was the producer in charge of The Office from like season five to season seven or something like that. Uh, which was kind of the golden period of that show. And uh, super yeah. entertaining two-part interview. And they went ahead and Jameson recorded him telling these crazy stories from producing The Office. Um, and we can get into yeah. that a little we can get into that a little bit here. But what I wanted to ask you, what I was thinking that whole time, you know, there's some things about that guy. Uh, and his name one more time? Randy Cordry. Randy Cordry. There are some things about that guy that just to me, they seem like just classic television or television and film producer things. He seemed like yeah. in, in a lot of ways, like my idea of 
you know, your classic uh, producer. And I, and that kind of started to think, you know, there's a lot of very strong cliches associated with Hollywood producers, right? And, you know, like, they yeah. curse a lot, you know, they yell into cell phones. And I was wondering, I wanted to ask you, because you have personal experience, like, when you see that, like, like, uh, like Tom Cruise's character in Tropic Thunder, or uh, I like, uh, what's the dude? Um, uh, the the dude who uh, who was in uh, the the drummer movie, the, the jazz drummer who yells at his J.K. Simmons. Oh yeah, yeah. Anyway, he plays another. You know, they're yelling and they're yelling the most horrible things into cell phones. Like you know, I'm gonna tear off your head. You know. <laughs> defecate down your throat or whatever, you know, just like all the craziest things you hear him say. Now, Jameson, how much of the, like, what percentage of producers in Hollywood are like that? Like, there must wow. be, there must be a lot of normal, I mean, nice producers too, right? Uh, sure, sure, there are, but, uh, I mean, that, that, all that's based in reality. I mean, here's, Oh, I have no doubt. I mean, obviously... There's a reason that this cliche yeah, is out there, right? Right, right. No, and I don't. I don't know. I mean, I haven't worked with every producer in Hollywood by any stretch, but uh, I've known plenty that are very much like that. But there's others <laughs> that are very calm and very cool. You know, Clint Eastwood is is a uh, has this amazing reputation for being the antithesis of all that. Yeah. You know, with with his sets, uh, they, you know, they they only shoot they shoot less than a day. They He's real calm. He, his whole, like, he just creates this real mellow, easygoing set. And nobody does that. That's unheard of. So that's what kind of makes what Clint Eastwood does pretty remarkable. Um, but it's just, it's part of the culture because, what you know, there's so many people and money and things that have to be coordinated and put into place for every, for everything. Absolutely. For every makes shot. sense. And so, so. You know, and if one thing falls apart, the whole thing can fall apart. So, and then, so yeah, so there's so much at stake and there's so much money. And so you, so that's why you end up with producers and people just screaming bloody murder, <laughs> and, you know, and threatening people's lives to, you know, make sure they get the, you know, put the duct tape in the right place or whatever dealing it with, is, you know, it's because it's, yeah. Dealing with a lot of, a lot of, a lot of humongous egos and, and a lot of drug addled brains too, I'm sure. You know, and there, and then, and meanwhile, you know, you've you've got hundreds of thousands of dollars on the line. Specifically in that in that article, you know, Cordray was talking about uh, the scene the when the, when uh, when Pam and what's his name get engaged on the office. Yeah, that's there's yeah, the scene. Pam and Jim. Pam and Jim. They get engaged in the rain in front of what's supposed to be like a rest stop on the New Jersey Turnpike, and yeah, they like so they, they of course they're out in Hollywood. There's not a New Jersey Turnpike out there, so they built one right. on an old asphalt pad. They built an entire like the Molly Pitcher rest stop on the Jersey Turnpike, but of course it's also not raining because it doesn't rain in LA. So they got to make it rain, <laughs> and they have to have yeah. it's supposed to be the Turnpike, so there has to be people driving by at high speeds. So this whole, it was what, like 45 seconds or something. And it cost like $300,000 or, and yeah. they had to create this whole, it was amazing. Yeah. 
amazing story. And you imagine trying to do that. Meanwhile, you're burning, you're making a 30 minute show. You're burning hundreds of thousands of dollars on it. And yeah, you know, like you say, uh-huh. one thing goes, that's all on you, right? One guy, the producer. <laughs> like, yeah. No wonder, no wonder on these guys, yeah. the one of these guys are constantly about to pop out of their skin and like, <laughs> breathe fire like demons. Yeah. <laughs> It's true. I mean, after the office, Randy, he he needed a break. I mean, he he said it was wearing on him. His blood pressure was up, and his health. You know, it affects your health. I mean, those guys. That's not a position, a, the kind of work you can do for too terribly long. No, it uh, because it can, it'll it'll wear you down. Uh, you you got to take breaks. I don't know, but I think he he will work again. But he's Randy's great. You know, so he. I was talking to him because he's a Texas Tech alum. He graduated in 1975 and went right out to Hollywood and just immediately tried starting to get to work. And he, and his stories from the those beginning days are just fantastic. I mean, he was working at KTLA Channel 5, which was owned by Gene Autry, the, the singing cowboy. And so I don't know if you know much about Gene Autry, but he was, re- he was a real forward thinker and kind of, got into television and started investing in it and, you know, and putting money in it and setting up studios before anybody else. So he, that's really kind of his greatest contribution more than his cowboy songs is like, he became the, the forerunner for all the early television stuff and his stories from working on Hill street blues and, uh, uh, (laughs) airwolf and Knight Rider. I mean, they're just amazing. Amazing. There's some great. Well, shows. yeah, there's some stuff I couldn't put a, you know, put in the article or really share, but I could probably share a little bit of it now. Like, so he he got a job out in Hawaii. He got a job out in Hawaii. He'd been out of work and he really needed a job. And somebody somebody called and said, "Hey, we need somebody to come out and shoot B-roll for Airwolf, right? Which is the helicopter." Uh, I love right, Airwolf. Airwolf. So, and B-roll, you know, B, B, A-roll is all the scenes, the actors and all that. B-roll is all stuntmen and explosions and all the fun stuff. So he was out there in Hawaii, like in, an, in a in a helicopter, like shooting out, you know, out, out both sides of the helicopter with no seatbelt. Yeah, and, he, and blowing stuff up and, you know, and having a great time. He told this story like they had an actor. He didn't. He didn't need actors a lot, but he did sometimes. And he had an actor that he needed for this shot. Well, that guy got drunk and like beat up his wife and went to jail. Oh dear! And they needed him. And they needed. They needed him like, to shoot the next day. You know. And so he and the uh, one of the executive producers or something were down at the jail in the morning, posting his bail. Grabbing that guy, getting him, you know, getting him out of there and putting him in the shower and, you know, getting him in front of the camera so he could shoot his scene. <laughs> you know, I mean, that, that, that producer's job is, you know, goes further than you'd ever imagine. You're, I wish we knew what scene that was. We could find it on YouTube and just be like, okay, that guy yeah. just spent the night in jail he and he's still drunk. <laughs> right. Yeah, I know. It would be fun yeah, to watch that scene cool. now knowing. Knowing what everything yeah. that was going Those on are... in that guy's life, <laughs> I know I got to go back and watch Airwolf again. You could probably, you know, pick it out if you tried hard enough. But Hill Street Blues, you know, they used to shoot that down in L.A. and like the seedy parts of downtown Los Angeles. 
where, you know, all kinds of people lived there in, in slums, but they would go down there and shoot down there. And uh, he was talking about how they were out there one time shooting and uh, the boom guy, somebody was up in a window and they hated that all the people who lived there hated the, the, the Hollywood people there shooting in their neighborhood. Somebody threw a bottle of vodka out of the, or a vodka bottle. No, I don't think there was any vodka in it, but he threw it out of the, like a 10 story window and, it wasn't cracked, me. Yeah, cracked a, cracked the boom guy like on the back of the head, and he had to go to the hospital. And, oh no! Uh, oh, yeah, and it was yeah. He, and then uh, the actors kind of went in revolt, and they said, "We don't want to shoot down in here, here anymore. We're too scared." Hill, Hill Street Blues was really trying to push the envelope, but uh, yeah, those stories are his stories from those old days are really the most amazing. I know about that from bartending. Bartending in Dumbo down under the Manhattan Bridge in Brooklyn, like every like this this neighborhood where I bartend my first bartending gig was at Pedro's, a Dominican restaurant, uh, underneath the Manhattan Bridge on the Brooklyn side. And this old it was this old brick warehouse neighborhood. It was the most just picturesque like seedy old New York. So anytime anybody any show or any movie wanted to shoot, they were going to shoot there. And uh, so, like, you're trying to, like, get to work, and this guy's, like, telling you you can't walk down a block. And, you're, like, uh, and then, like, the neighbors are out there. They're all pissed off. Everybody's like, I can't get to my house. You know, and there's uh, some, like, some hipster with a with a clipboard and a head headphone on his microphone is yeah. telling you, no, you can't. You got to stay right here. Like, we're living our lives. We're yeah. not impressed with you, Hollywood. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you can imagine, but um, yeah, it, his yeah, Randy Cordero was was great. I would recommend anybody read read the read the articles I got. I mean, that really kind of boils it down. But yeah, I'll put them we, up. We on spent Facebook. eight hours together on the phone. Yeah, we we spent eight hours on the phone together. I thought I'd you know I might get like a forty five minute interview with this guy, and you know <laughs> it went on and on and on. I actually had to stop him at one point and go, "Hey, Randy, I got I got to go to." I got to go put my daughter in bed. <laughs> uh, so we just pick it up tomorrow, and we did. So it ended up being two parts, and it went from just like a little. He has trouble reading the room from time yeah, to time. Yeah, no, but he was. I, I he can was, understand. He just—he's happy to share these stories, and he's an exciting guy. And there are the stories he has are amazing. I told him he needs to write a book. So, um, yeah. Jameson, would you like to just join us on a couple of uh, One Magical Hour show sheet bullet points that we, we should probably just talk yeah, about? Yeah, absolutely. And I was going to say, our last, uh, our, the last time I was on the show, we, we, we mentioned the, uh, the poem that Schaefer and I collaborated on that was nominated for a Pushcart Prize, and I found it. Oh, so excellent! If you, want, if you have a poetry corner tonight, I, I, we, I can, I can share that. We definitely do, Matthew. I'm gonna move some oh, of these. Wait, okay, wait. That's cool. Yeah, move some of them. But there, there was actually that. That reminded me of something. Okay, Jameson, do you remember when you were in Southern California and you guys came across some dudes, or I don't know, somebody was calling you JMO. Mm-hmm. Who was calling you, J? Who was calling you, JMO? In Southern California. Well, you know, everybody that, that wasn't California, but in Austin, all the folks that worked at Halcyon Cafe, Bar, and Lounge on Fourth and Lavaca in the Warehouse District, all those people called me JMO. 
for some reason. Okay. In New York, they, they, the, I, the Irish guys all started calling me Jimmy. Jimmy, okay. I heard Luke Burbank referring to Jameson Whiskey as JMO yeah. the other day. And it made me think it was like some sort of West Coast thing, but... I was I was mistaken about the word. I'm more I associate with kind of dude bros. Hey, can I get a JMO? Yeah, a little bit of that. Yeah, that the JMO that right. they when they called me JMO it was sort of a you know it was sort of a dig for sure. It wasn't there were it was a it was a, an endearment endearing dig. You know. Are you calling your podfather Luke a dude bro? Uh, you know, he might be a little bit of a bro. I'm. He might be a little bit of a bro. I'm I'm fine. I'm a bro. You know. I'm a little, I could be a little bit of a bro. Yeah. If you were slurring at me or near me, bro might actually. <laughs> um, I Schaefer, I think that you have a an announcement to make uh, that has a number. I was it. taking a look at some of the numbers of the analytics for the podcast, and I noticed in, in, sure. that. Uh, and I noticed that One Magical Hour has now been downloaded at least once in 41 different countries. Does that feel like a that accomplishment seems like a big or number a flute? There's one person <laughs> listened to one episode of OMH in Kazakhstan. Which That's episode? interesting to me. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I'd have to drill down on you don't know drill down on the right. data a little bit to tell you that, right? Right. <laughs> as they say, but uh, yeah, you know, it's I think it's something to be. Uh, it's it's interesting. I just, you know, episode, am I proud of it? I don't know. Episode ninety-eight. What are you? What do you mean? You're waffling on whether yeah, or not no, you're I'm proud of that. I'm definitely proud. I, of it. I'm proud of it. <laughs> Okay. 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 <laughs> All time. You were being humble. I'm sorry. I've uh, I messed up your flow. Sorry. Go ahead. I, I'm I'm really proud of both of you boys. Well, thank you. Well, thank you. You are an early supporter, and uh, we appreciate your interest in the podcast, your appearances on the podcast, your continued support of the podcast. Seventeen thousand three hundred and one all time downloads. That's that's not a small number. It seems it seems okay. I'm happy with it. Put yourself back in August. Can I? Can we just started the podcast. Somebody says, "How do you feel?" Six months okay. from now, let's say <laughs> seven months. Uh -huh. How how does how does seventeen thousand downloads sound to you? I mean, I'm not a numbers <laughs> guy. Like at my at my core, I am not a numbers guy. And I don't quantify things like that. So if I, here's the real question. If somebody had said to me nine months ago, uh, how much do you think you're going to learn by starting a podcast? I would have been like, ah, a little bit. I don't know. Something, I'll learn something. The amount that I have learned far exceeds what I thought I might learn from starting a podcast, which I, which I think is a way better metric, right? Right, uh, right, I'd say, right, yeah, that's uh, <laughs> but I mean, 17,000 downloads is cool too. Can I tell everybody a real sad story about the robot? Okay, the, the, ro the robot's power source is has a short, 
and um, I, I I just hope the robot can stay with us for uh, you know for as long as that robot's life can be you know engaging with this podcast. I don't know. So uh, there's trouble with the robot with the robot's power source. Uh, so Matthew, do you notice there's an entry for yield word shop? Um. <laughs> oh yes. So I'm so glad that the power source is still intact because I have a beat for that. Yield word shop. Okay, but I have got a funny joke for you. I mean, there's a funny joke here. I heard this. Ex- this is not the forum for that. I heard the expression failed in London, try Hong Kong the other night. Failed hmm. in London, try Hong Kong. And uh, is that racist? I, you know, I don't know. It's just, it's something that, is that well, it's actually, there's a book by uh, um, an Asian person, Jingang, or so it's from the first name Jingang, J-I-N-G-A-N. Uh, I'm guessing they're probably Asian. Uh, Jingang Young. Uh, but apparently that was just something that, that they said. In colonial, the colonial UK, maybe your life wasn't going well at home. You know, you're not, you're, you're not cracking it in London. So you get on a, get on a, uh, get on a boat and try, you know, try the other side of the world when it, where the, where, you know, the British have this colony. So I heard this expression the other day. I'd never heard it before. Um, and I thought that it was the origin of the word filth. Uh, but I'm wrong. It's the word filth is much older than that. <laughs> In fact, goes back to Germanic origin uh, related to the Dutch vliet, uh, which is which just means foul. Uh, so sorry, guys. Didn't mean to get everybody all excited about something new. Uh, but wait, what does filth have to do with that scenario you were talking about? Uh, London failed Kong. in London. Try Hong Kong. That's a. Uh, oh, an, an, acronym. an acronym. Filth. Okay. I'm, I'm glad you asked, Matthew, because I, I wasn't following you. I'm <laughs> sorry, guys. Like I knew what you guys were talking This is about. the worst, worst yeah. yield workshop ever. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. No, my friend. I think, as Adam pointed out, episode three's workshop was much worse. <laughs> So what is the origin of what is the origin of filth? It's a uh, yeah, Germanic via Dutch just means foul or rotten. Uh, you know, passed down. But I, you know, I want to know more about this expression failed in London try Hong Kong, but I I, I need to uh, I need to explore it more. I'll have to get back to you on it, guys. All of this is throwing me for a loop. Um, <laughs> it sounds to me a bit like marketing for uh, or recruitment for colonization. Yeah, like you the know, Ministry it's like, of Travel, you in know, Hong Kong came up with that. Yeah, it's like, oh, wait, it's not going Ministry so good in London. Try right. Hong Kong, you know, because we need because we need businesses Englishmen there. I don't, you know, I don't know. Kind of like Lubbock has more sky. 
<laughs> right, right, right. Highlight the good things about Hong Kong. It's easier to succeed there than London. <laughs> okay, I think that we've come to everyone's favorite portion of the show, the poetry oh, corner. Sweet. You guys were talking about some. You guys were talking about some poem that was going to be. Written. Yeah, we were. We Jameson and I were nominated for a pushcart prize for this poem of ours. Uh, it was the, it was, uh, it was published in Lit, Lit Magazine, which is the, uh, it was the literary journal for the New School, which is a university in New York City. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was excited. I wasn't sure if I would be able to find this, but I didn't. I got to say when and I, I found it. Go ahead. James and I collaborated. We wrote this poem line by line, back and forth over email while he was working at Morgan Stanley and I was working at Standard & Poor's, <laughs> which that alone is hilarious. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Talk about keeping creative endeavors alive, you know? <laughs> yeah. that was really, you guys are a model of, of, of really getting your thumb up to the corporate wild, world and just being like, I'm still wild, I'm Wild still nights in Brooklyn and then hungover days doing uh pushing pencils yeah. and paper for uh for the uh global economic elite in manhattan you're like sure i'm i'm doing my job but i'm also collaborating on poetry writing award nominated would... poetry yeah award yeah. nominated this is when i was sitting on the empty floors it was, uh, it was uh jp morgan chase oh sorry morgan i'm morgan stanley, stanley. okay yeah, they would. They were take. They were combining, and they were. They would just move me to the empty floor, and I would sit there, and I had nothing to do. All that. So wrong. But actually, I mean, I, would, I think it was. I didn't feel guilty about doing this work at all because I don't know what else I was supposed to do. Um, but I found it. I found this book on my bookshelf, and there was a couple of interesting things tucked into the book. When I found <laughs> it, uh, there was this, uh, you know, DIY book of poetry called uh, "Fishing Season." Which I believe is this yours, Schaefer? Is this it's you? it's those are collaborations between John Cotter and I. Is this the book you guys were reading from when we went to Boston that time to Cambridge? It probably we was, yeah. That Harvard, we went to that Harvard party, and I fell through the sheetrock. <laughs> <laughs> well, now the cast is going to have to go a little longer because you're going to have to tell that story. Well, I don't know if there's much to the story. I just. I don't. It was so embarrassing. I mean, yeah, we we we, were, we hadn't been drinking and everything, but I I went to like sit down on the ground, and I guess I just kind of misjudged it and sort of fell back into the wall, and I just went through the wall. It was. I mean, not all all the way through, but yeah. there, I mean, just sure, walked out a sure. big chunk of the sheetrock, and I didn't know any of these. People. Yeah, you betcha. And I already, I was already like, you know, <laughs> hanging out with all these Harvard guys. You feel, you know, so. You feel so inferior anyway, and now I fell through the wall. Uh, oh, anyway. Jameson, those those guys had nothing on you. <laughs> Don't you ever feel inferior to those Harvard guys? <laughs> we gotta get we gotta have you know my my dad had, did actually attend Harvard. We need to uh, get his opinion on, uh, <laughs> on Harvard guys versus Jameson. Yeah, <laughs> there Who was knows? also he, this. He, he might have fallen through a wall or two in his day. You know, you never know. <laughs> it was so embarrassing. I just remember that. 
I, I also found this like printout of a, I guess this is like an article that somebody wrote about your, your, your book of poetry, uh, Schaefer, Never Cry Wolf. Oh, really? By, yeah, this guy, Dan Brady. He wrote, he did a whole write up on your book. It's really, to F Stan Brady, it's really bro. wonderful. <laughs> I got, How I got, exciting. I, what? I don't. I gotta Just share us... like the last line. He he was reviewing you, and then there's also Amanda Burnham has has a has a book out, and so he was kind of talking about both of your books. But I'm just gonna share the last bit because this was incredible. It's really complimentary. But he he was talking about Schaefer. Obviously, he says Hall is a companion on the long trails, a generous bartender, a joking linguist, a wise cowboy. A charming southern gentleman, a surrealist with two feet on the ground, a keen observer with plentiful imagination, as he writes in malfunction at the junction with Never Cry Wolf, Schaefer has loosed into the world a tremendous wink. That's it. I think that was a good review, right? That was a good yeah, review. no doubt. <laughs> That's funny. I had forgotten about that one entirely. That's so cool. Yeah, these little treasures, they were tucked in with the, the book. So. so I have the poem, if you'd like. I guess I'd be the one reading it. Yeah, by all I means. I'm, no, I'm excited about it. Yes, please. Is there like a... Wait, 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 wait. Let me just, intro let me just introduce the segment. <laughs> Poetry Connor. Okay, was that, was that it? Was that the intro? <laughs> That's the okay, intro. It. <laughs> All right. Okay. This is a, a poem called Laundry Night. <laughs> Fluorescence is sexy in the uncertain light. Warm clothes are a resource for love. As the man lines out your coins in perfect little rows, his eyes suggest tears, his breath suggests booze, and his wife's low-cut sweater suggests church has let out. It's easy to imagine two ballroom dancers having a quiet dinner in their home, the wine and love and sadness of pasta, the melancholy of clothes that stay clean forever. Oh, that's a you guys a wrote poem. that, ah. dude. <laughs> yeah, I I remember that the the coins, a little rose that we go to the local laundromat down there in in, in Greenpoint. In Brooklyn. Yeah, the Polish guy. They, his eyes, his his eyes yeah. were always kind of wet. It always kind of looked like he was just done crying. That's so funny! <laughs> wow. Yeah, so many, so much of that I can picture perfectly in my head, and all yeah. those kind of those. Those older Polish women who always kind of just dressed a little sexier than you would necessarily expect. Like, not to be judgmental, but just, you know, you expect women of a certain age to maybe dress a little more conservatively, and they would dress a little less conservatively. You did. Right. <laughs> uh, Jameson, there's an, isn't there another poem in that book by us, also by us? Or? I don't know, is there? I think so. Uh, yeah. 
there's another poem by there's two more poems by you oh which what are they called we got uh we have near magical skills and we also have terror i want terror. near magical skills i mean we could they're not long we could probably get through both of them terror near magical well, skills is in the never cry wolf book but i don't know if terror is yeah should i go for that one then yeah let's hear that one because i don't i don't even remember that one all right let's see terror Count the T's on your tongue. Forget tuxedo, Azteca. Now knit several S's into a blanket for your mouth. Estoy, some sort of providence. Give yourself some room now with silent sounds, not knowingly. Now pronounce the commas as you try to get away. Pronounce the commas. You're messing with my mind when you say stuff like that. <laughs> That's an excellent reading, Jameson. Uh, yeah. I think I guess that maybe that did end up in the book. I def I I remember that poem now. I remember it. I don't I don't know if it's in the book. So exciting. Those are you know that's that was my probably my first on paper publication. I've been published before that online. But that was my first paper publication, I think. That was Me too. <laughs> Me too. That was after I gave the reading at uh at the Soft Skull Press bookstore. And afterwards, Shanna Compton, who was the editor of Lit, we were sitting at a bar and she was just like, Give me those poems. And I handed it to her. She's like, I want this one, this one, and this one. I was like, Cool, you can have them. Uh, and I, I didn't know it's pretty awesome that she put him she made him the first three poems in the book so that was cool yeah they are. and then really and then cool. arranged for us to be nominated for a push card award for that first one I think that one that you and I wrote together is the best of the three Jameson yeah I like it yeah I like it I, I just remember how how uh, disturbed or upset Ben Murphy was at, or you know when he found out <laughs> you and I had a poem nominated for pushcart. He just couldn't. He couldn't believe it. He was like, "What, <laughs> you guys?" No, I think it was it was more you specifically. <laughs> Jameson's not even a poet. <laughs> well, there was uh, that, yeah. And it wasn't Ben Murphy. It was John Cotter. Oh, it was John Cotter. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. And he was, you know, and he was. It was mostly tongue in cheek too. He was. He was kidding around. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, boys, what else do we need to talk about? I feel like I, you know, I had a long day at the bar, but it's so much fun when we get rolling, man. You know, I start to just be like, oh, I can talk all night long now. But. Well, I don't know if one magical nation feels yeah. that same way. Manisha's <laughs> commute, commute is probably done. He's probably got to get inside to get to work. He was saying that he needed more, like the one forty-five minute episode a week. Wasn't well, let's doing tell it. everybody out there on One Magical Nation: we're going to do our best to get back on a you know a slightly more frequent schedule, at least for the next month. Um, yeah, just just for you guys. Thank you for your appreciation, and uh, we want to, you know, we're as of episode one hundred, we're going to start marketing this thing and trying to expand our. Uh, 
our listenership a little bit. You know, if we get to the point where we uh, start selling some ads or doing whatever, you know, maybe we, uh, maybe Matthew and I quit our jobs and record this thing five days a week. How'd, how would you guys feel about that? Uh, if it's something, just if it's something you'd like, please tell your friends and uh, tell everyone you know. Uh, make sure that you get the word out about it, and we'll see. Uh, we'll see where we can take this thing in the next hundred episodes. Uh, just to just to be clear to my current boss, I'm not planning on <laughs> uh, quitting my job. Anytime soon. So, I just I just, I just want to clear they definitely, that out. <laughs> doesn't. They they need Matthew at Blue Sky, and they definitely they need me at the front page too, at least for the time being. So uh, yeah, right. so we're not going anywhere. I think we can. Con- I think we can continue to produce top quality content and run our I businesses. I agree with that. I agree with so, that. Yeah. Jameson, you, uh, do you know how much I love you? Uh, no. How much? How much? <laughs> I, I mean, I don't want to put like, um, it's at least 1700 down. A bushel <laughs> full. Gosh, golly. Well, um, I, I love you too, man. N- no. It's, Very much. No. As many corns are in the cornfield, that is how. That's how much love you have for Jameson. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for spending some time with us here. Oh, thank you. It's uh, always a pleasure. It's really fun, uh, and we'll. uh, We're 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 inspired by your creative endeavors. You are absolutely welcome uh, back here anytime. uh, Oh, I, you know, hey. You guys are pretty inspiring. We got to do one magical nation. Uh, we've 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 sort of joked about a plan where uh, one week maybe Matthew and I take the week off and Alex and Jameson host the show together. Uh, get at us and let us know what you think about that. It's it's a uh, it's getting to be the point where yeah maybe maybe Matthew and Schaefer need a little break. So we'll see. I think we do like you know like those. E entertainment, the entertainment television, like retrospectives, where we listen to like a segment from the early on, and then he yeah, and I would. Talk that's about all they it. want. They want to do. They want to do a commentary yeah. show. If they were to host, <laughs> if they were to host the show, I would be terrified. They would that be better than us. They were yeah, better absolutely. than us. I'm, I'm right there. Yeah. With you. Or, or, but, but it could totally go in our way, where it's a mashugas. M- a mi- it's a Michigas, and uh, then and then people are just glad to have uh, Matthew and Shane. Yeah, no, no, I think a, a retrospective <laughs> after after episode one hundred, we we can look back at some of the earlier. Oh yeah, that'd be great. Like you guys do a highlight yeah, show yeah. after one hundred. You guys host the highlight <laughs> that, show. That's not, I think Alex and I would do very well with that. <laughs> hey, I'll, I'll I'll go ahead and. Uh, I'll go ahead and record all that and edit it all and put in the music <laughs> and all the sound sweetening and everything. Just I'll, I'll take care of it for you. I'll email yeah, you. Yeah, there you go. That sounds good. This is not the worst episode we have ever done. No Definitely way. not. But we do want to hear from you uh, or via our voicemail line. Oh, and, oh, yeah, oh, 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 okay, so the voicemail is 7666, oh, wait, I got a whole, I got a whole shtick on this, all right, the voicemail line is 7666087, and it's easy to remember, because 
Austin zip code is seven eight seven, and you just break that apart and you put in the name of the, and you put in the number of the beast right in the middle of that. You take up the seven and you divorce it from the eight and you put in the number of the beast six six six. And then you add a zero to that because the devil is a zero, a big zero. <laughs> <laughs> and then you got seven, six, 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 zero, eight, seven. That's Austin town. One magical universe. <laughs> it's so easy to remember. You take, you take seven, eight, seven. Cause I'm seven, eight, seven. What's, what's your zip code? I, I'm seven, eight, seven. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm seven Oh two. <laughs> no, wait. Don't say it. Don't, let's not say it on the air. It's, we've only told everybody where we live. Um, but when I'm Austin seven eight seven, just break that apart six six six, which you love to tattoo on your face, on your forehead, and then put a zero and then eight seven. <laughs> it's easy. I'm glad I remembered that. I'm glad I remembered to, that little mnemonic device for everybody to just remember the voice. That is that is wonderful. Line. Uh, send us some. It's shady spot season, everybody. Join us next send time. Us. If if you don't rate us, I think they're going to shut the podcast oh, no. down. Somebody needs to rate us on Apple Podcast. Yeah, and they're shutting us down unless we get some ratings. And leave us a voicemail about what you think was the worst episode and why. Our favorite answers will receive. Uh, will receive one magical hour swag. Uh, etc. Adam says it's episode three, and I'm going to go back and listen to it. <laughs> and he may be. He may be. Indeed, but, right. I'll go but back Adam only drunkenly texted us. He didn't leave a voicemail. So he definitely has not won yet. You still have a chance. Oh, yeah. We need a voicemail. Right. Right. <laughs> Thank you, each and every one right. of you, for listening to uh, this madness such as it is. Uh, Jameson, will you do Will you do us a favor? Yeah, sure. Well, I'm going to direct you here for just a second. Will you do our sign off but like in a really theatrical way um this this isn't a podcast this is theater recorded and sent to your computer on wi-fi we're on the air here it's just the router to your laptop or your device go it could be lte but wait jameson do you remember our sign off we love you the poor the choices Sweeter the wine. Oh my god. <laughs> that was that was the best ever. <laughs> Some nights you're struggling with indecision. Some nights you know just where the answer lies. Some nights you think you may have found religion. Some nights you're lost beneath an empty sky Comes in one night and the edges close The sun goes down and the street lights glow And you step right up and you just let go Things just come alive and now you're talking to drive Sometimes it's just alright It's alright Tough 
ride by the taxi where you need to go Comes a warm night walking through the door You feel so strong you just want more No old, no young, no rich, no poor Things just come alive and now you're talking to jazz Sometimes it's just alright It's alright Sometimes it's just alright It's alright Just alright. Some nights it's just alright. Some nights it's just alright.